Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 197. Thank you so much for listening. Buiti binapi and bienvenidos, bitches. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims, because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, able-bodied white dudes. What? No! These crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. That's right. And she's a co-conspirator. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Nico Allen Jenkins, a Black and Native American man convicted of murder in Omaha, Nebraska. In 2013, he killed four people within a span of 11 days. Oh, my God. All right. Before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, It's been a weird week, but uh, we got through it. We did. We're here and we're ready to pod. Let's get into it. Time for some listener letters. (laughs) Hello, angels. Hello. Thank you. Well, what's in the bag, Beth? Well, we got no letters again this week, but please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also join us on Patreon, where we have literally hundreds of hours of bonus content and a video club for 12 plus patrons where you can join us to talk about videos. Yay! Yay! 
Okay, so let's take a quick break and we're going to get into the story when we come back. I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. us, Beth. Who is our subject today? Our subject today is multiple murderer Nico Allen Jenkins. Jenkins was diagnosed with mental illnesses and was sentenced to death for his crimes in 2017. His case raised a lot of questions about the treatment of individuals with mental illness in the criminal justice system. So many questions, so many concerns. All right, let's get into some stats. So we want to say rest in power to all of the murder victims and everyone left in the wake of this tragedy. The victims are Juan Uribe Peña, 26, Jorge Cajiga Ruiz, 29, Curtis Bradford, 22, and Andrea Kruger, 33. So now let's get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha is located on the far east side of the state situated on the west bank of the Missouri River, right across from Council Bluffs, Iowa. So the state abuts Iowa. You just said but. I said but. (laughs) (laughs) 
is Nebraska's biggest city and is named after the Omaha tribe. Omaha, somewhere in middle America, get right to the heart of matters. It's the heart that matters more. Any Cat and Crow fans out there? Anyway, around 1750, the Omaha people encountered the first European fur trader in the area. In 1805, York, an enslaved person on the Lewis and Clark expedition, became the first recorded Black person in the area. The Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 opened up the area to settlement by white people. Mm. At the same time, surprise, the Omaha tribe was moved to a reservation that is located in present-day Macy, Nebraska. Once the U.S. government controlled the land, the city of Omaha was founded. Just real quick, the moved to a reservation, people died en route yeah. to those reservations yeah. when tribes were moved. And also the land was children and people's lives. Families. Were, families were basically kids were held hostage. And the reason yeah. why this is important now is there's a case going before the Supreme Court about adoption of indigenous children. And a lot of the issues that are going on still to this day in terms of land rights and land back and civil rights, a lot of it has to do with just land <laughs> that yeah. the United States has taken. So during the Great Migration, a time when Black people fled the South in droves in order to escape Jim Crow laws and racial violence in their own countries, and also to pursue economic and educational opportunities, Omaha attracted a lot of Black migrants because of its industrial jobs with the railroads and meatpacking industries. By 1910, it had the third largest Black population among Western cities after Los Angeles and Denver. Whoa. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. Me either, but want to hear my Omaha joke? Sure. Have you ever met somebody from Omaha? No. That's because they never leave. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that's funny. (laughs) I don't either, but uh, I heard it a long time ago and I never forgot it. Okay, continue. So racism has dominated Omaha from the beginning. In 1865, the proposed Nebraska state constitution had a clause limiting voting rights in the state to free white males. This clause kept the territory from becoming a state for almost a year. And yet they they kept it in there until, you know, they realized it wasn't going to fly. Okay. In 1867, a mob of 400 white people attacked 20 black men who were trying (gasps) to vote. They were just trying to vote. Just trying to vote. Uh, Okay. There were also a lot of German and Eastern European immigrants in Omaha. And the newspaper, the Omaha Bee, routinely used yellow journalism to promote bigotry. And it regularly played ethnic groups against each other. Not just black people, but everybody, right? Divide and conquer. That's what yeah, white supremacy, exactly. that's how it thrives. Yep. And the first Ku Klux Klan group in Omaha was formed in 1921. Housing, schools, and churches were highly segregated from the outset. There were lynchings, of course, and suspicious deaths in police custody. Economic racism in the form of jobs, salaries, benefits, and job security that were not available to people of color. There was redlining and the undermining of Black businesses and community cohesion through such actions as building interstates through entire neighborhoods. The old old hits. Yeah. Yeah. America's (laughs) greatest hits. Uh, There were even laws against Black people using the city's public transportation system. And for more than 75 years, Black people were excluded from the white economy of Omaha. 
Throughout downtown Omaha, Black people weren't allowed to shop, eat, or otherwise spend money at the same places where white people did. That's just dumb. It is. Yeah. I mean, when Black people would go shopping, they couldn't try on clothes, right? So yeah. they'd have to buy clothes. And if they that didn't fit, they didn't oh well. know if they would yeah. fit. Yeah. Exactly. Fuck that. Yeah. It's terrible. During the mid-20th century, massive restructuring in railroads and the meatpacking industry cost the city more than 10,000 jobs. And Black people were particularly affected by the loss of these industrial jobs. Today, only one other metropolitan area in the United States, Minneapolis, has a wider economic disparity between Black and white people. Wow. That's also a surprise. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought uh, Minneapolis well, was pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's super I, diverse, but super yeah. segregated. I did not know that. Yes, ma'am. So the family of Nico Jenkins includes members of both Black and Native American communities. His ancestor, Levi Levering, a member of the Omaha Nation, had been a distinguished tribal leader and was well-respected in Nebraska. Nico Jenkins is Levi Levering's great-great-grandson. Many of his relatives, past and current, have also had run-ins with the law. At least 38 were convicted of 633 crimes in Omaha between 1979 and 2013. Now, that's not to say that just because he's indigenous or just because he's Black, he has criminality is not an inherited oh, no. we'll or it. genetic trait. Okay. Yeah. I just yeah, we'll wanted to, it. I heard that in no. a lot of sources. That's <laughs> yeah. not yeah. the case. We will get into it. Thank you. So according to Crystal Edwards, an adjunct professor of sociology at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, when his later crimes made headlines, the reporting posed Omaha as a victim of the Levering family. Hmm. But she said, Omaha also let the Levering family and the Black and Indigenous communities down. Couldn't agree more. The Levering and Black Indigenous communities are victims of Omaha and its white supremacy. Yeah. Edwards said the coverage described Nico Jenkins as a natural result of a series of bad choices, including drugs and alcohol, <laughs> child neglect and criminal behavior. Quote, while that may be true, it is also part of a long line of bad policy choices, abuse of native people, genocidal education via mission schools, misappropriation of resources by state and federal governments racially biased lending practices and misuse of child welfare systems against indigenous people. Should we go on? Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Omaha's long history of discrimination against black and indigenous residents was ignored in the reporting. None of the factors that Edwards mentioned were examined, and there was little discussion of race beyond Levi Levering. They also didn't discuss systemic factors that can drive criminal activity. My observation is one of the luxuries of being a white person is that you get to ignore all these all that stuff things yeah. and minimize them when people bring them to your attention. Right. So don't do that. <laughs> Edwards <laughs> commented, quote, in essence, the dominant society has participated in the creation of the cultural conditions that produce the levering family. The coverage mentions their tribal connection but not the transgressions against their tribes creating a set of conditions that would have made life very difficult, unquote. So now let's get into Nico's early life. Hit it, Biff. Nico Allen Jenkins was born on September 16th, 1986 in Colorado, but he was raised in Omaha. He has five sisters. His mother, Lori Jenkins, was just 16 when she had her first child with her boyfriend, David McGee, who was 31 at the time. 
So Whoa, that's gross. Okay. Yeah. They never married. According to Lori, David beat her even when she was pregnant. Both of Nico's parents were convicted of felonies during his childhood, and he grew up watching them fight. According to a court-ordered evaluation, Nico Jenkinson's family home was, quote, ripe with violence, alcohol, and drug abuse, and devoid of the very structure and social-slash-spiritual nourishments the child needs, unquote. Nico suffered substantial physical and verbal abuse from his parents, sisters, uncles, and cousins. Mm -hmm. He was also sexually abused by a cousin. He suffered from bedwetting, anxiety, nightmares, and night terrors due to the things that he was experiencing at home. When Nico was seven years old, he took his mom's loaded gun to school and was detained. He was subsequently removed from the home and put into foster care. Nico was first admitted to a psychiatric institution at the age of eight for fighting and for suicidal ideation. On admission, Dr. Jane Dalkey reported that he was suicidal, a danger to his mother and sister, and was hearing voices and carrying on conversations with himself. He reported audio and visual hallucinations and suffered difficulty sleeping and bedwetting. Dr. Dalkey later testified that, quote, it is quite difficult for an eight-year-old child to be malingering or faking it, unquote. And I do believe that he was experiencing problems with mental illness when he was this young. Yes, I, I do believe that. I couldn't agree more, but we'll get into it. I've got a culture corner on this coming up. So okay. he received various diagnoses, including oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, schizoaffective disorder, and schizophrenia. He was prescribed several different medications over the years, although sometimes he refused to take them. According to his sister Lori, or Lolo Sales, he would sometimes speak in an English accent and claim to be someone else. In later court hearings, six psychiatrists unanimously agreed that Jenkins experienced years of serious mental illness. Nebraska's state-employed clinicians reached different diagnoses, but they also all agreed that Jenkins had serious mental disorders. The most common diagnosis was schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. Sorry, this is a quote from the court records. And we know IQ is generally a racist metric. And if anybody tries to use it on me, I will tell them so. Anyway, <laughs> quote, his IQ is in the, quote, high end of the mentally R-word range of intellectual functioning, unquote. He scored 68 on an administered IQ test. And I don't, I don't believe... He his IQ was that low. I don't. I just don't believe it. I don't think so either. I, again, I and I I don't buy it. I find it all to be bullshit. Yeah. When uh, there are tests like that. Yeah, and we'll get into why I don't think it's it, you know regardless of the score that he got, I don't believe he was stupid. No, he was. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And the the so the score is moot. I guess. Yes. Yeah. So by the age of thirteen, he had lived in seventeen different foster homes. Jenkins' father took out a protection order after the 13-year-old Jenkins threatened him with a sawed-off shotgun. In 2003, at the age of 17, Jenkins was convicted for armed robbery, specifically for carjacking two women at gunpoint, and he was imprisoned. In July of 2005, at the age of 18, still very young, he was placed in solitary confinement for the first time. He was permitted one hour outside his cell a day for exercises in a small fenced-in cage referred to as a dog run or kennel. Human beings are not dogs. No. He received no meaningful mental health treatment while in solitary. 
Afterwards, he was placed in solitary off and on. Of the eight years that Jenkins was in state prison, he spent almost five years Mm -hmm. in solitary confinement. From June 2007 until his release in 2013, he spent 77% of his time in solitary confinement. And you're not going to believe this, but solitary confinement doesn't bode well for mental illness. It's not good. It yeah. actually makes it a gazillion times worse. Yeah. So during his confinement, Jenkins' mental illness manifested in, uh, I can't think of a better adjective other than bizarre behaviors. There were suicide attempts and multiple facial, penile, and other self-mutilations. Jenkins reported delusions about an Egyptian god, Apophis, who commanded him to hurt himself and others. First, he began tattooing his face. Then he started cutting his face, telling his mother that the demon wanted him to sacrifice himself. Prison officials told his mom that it was accidental. Hmm. He reportedly sliced his own penis to try to make it look like a serpent. Wow. This was allegedly an attempt to pay homage to the Egyptian serpent god, and it required 27 stitches. Um, Ouch. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Gutnick later testified that, quote, Jenkins' multiple mutilations of his own penis would be an indication of severe mental illness. A person would have to be fairly out of touch and psychotic to be able to not react to that level of pain, unquote. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Really, doctor? <laughs> you How don't say. How did, yeah, did you go to, to come up with that one? <laughs> Prison staff reported that Jenkins, quote, has been snorting his semen in his left nostril on a daily basis ah. and drinking his own urine daily for the last two weeks as his own method of nutritional supplementation, unquote. I wonder if he watched that Bear Grylls show. <laughs> you know, Bear Grylls <laughs> said to drink your own urine because it's full of vitamins if you're oh, dehydrated gross. in, in no. the wilderness. Quick culture corner. El primer orismo, or orinoterapia, or uh, the water of life, or the golden fountain. Essentially, the first pee of the day. Gross. And I know that in some cultures around the world for millennia, including Mexican folklore, I took a Mexican folklore class once, in some African diasporic cultures, that there are claims that urine has all sorts of health benefits. You know, it's a good exfoliator for your skin. It clears up acne and eczema. I've heard that it could treat cancer, headaches. It's the new coconut oil. <laughs> even infertility issues. Um, but it has the important thing. It has to be the first pee of the day. All the other peas are just worthless. <clears throat> and that's okay. <laughs> just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Put that out there. Okay. It's not true, you guys. <laughs> are you sure? Yeah. Your urine is what you're excreting. Like, it's all the toxins and stuff that you're excreting from your body. Well, if a santeria came to me and said, this will help you, I would have a hard time not doing what she said. Okay. All right. Go ahead. You know, you do you, boo. In 2009, Jenkins' father, David McGee, died while Jenkins was in solitary. In February of 2010, Jenkins got married. Whoa. Chalanda Jenkins married Nico Jenkins at Tecumseh State Prison on February 6, 2010. The two were both serving jail terms. So I don't know how this happened, but happened, it did. (laughs) Just the two of us. 
We get married in jail, just the two of us, you and I. Yeah. So in 2011, Jenkins was sentenced for assaulting a prison official in an attempted escape. The sentencing judge noted his, quote, long and serious history of mental illness and recommended that defendant be assessed and treated for issues regarding his mental health, unquote. Finally, in 2011, (laughs) somebody noticed this person needs assistance. Wow. So Jenkins repeatedly predicted that he would commit violent acts after he was released from custody. He also repeatedly requested treatment for his mental condition. Six months before his release, Jenkins, quote, was requesting emergency psychiatric treatment on a daily basis, and his pleas for mental health treatment became more desperate, unquote. So he was letting him know, you know, you, you guys want- don't let me out. Don't mm-hmm. let me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And help I me. need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. It, it'll come up, I think, in my takeaways. But when a black or brown person says they are in pain to the medical profession or to any institution, education, they're in pain or they need help, they are not believed. They're ignored. And yeah. ignored. So just a few months before his scheduled release, Having been in solitary confinement for more than two years straight, totally equipped to be on the outside, Jenkins requested to be civilly committed upon release. He sent letters to the county attorney of Johnson County and Board of Parole, talked to the prison social worker, and enlisted his mother and Shalanda to help get him placed in emergency protective custody for psychiatric hospitalization. Jenkins wrote a series of letters to prosecutors and judges. Ones written in print were legible and typically raised issues that he was being mistreated in court or in prison. Other letters in cursive were filled with nonsensical run-on sentences which warped into geometric shapes. (sighs) I just, who is surprised? Yeah, yeah. What did y'all expect? What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, so in those, Jenkins claimed to be ruled by an Egyptian serpent demon named Apophis, and warned that he would protect the kingdom with animalistic savage brutality. The NDOC took no actions to refer his case for a possible mental health commitment proceeding. When NDOC was contacted by Deputy County Attorney Rick Smith regarding Jenkins' attempt to have himself civilly committed, a Dr. Weilage, who was a psychologist employed by NDOC, deliberately withheld a report by Dr. Baker, who had found that Jenkins was, quote, mentally ill as well as an imminent danger to others and will possibly require civil commitment prior to being released to ensure his safety as well as the safety of others, unquote. Dr. Weilage, why did you do that? Yeah. Withheld the report deliberately. Okay, so Weilage claimed that he did not tell Smith about the diagnosis because he did not agree with it. He believed that Jenkins had antisocial personality disorder. A committee later concluded that, quote, the decision by Dr. Wheelage to withhold Dr. Baker's report resulted directly in the failure of Jenkins to be civilly committed, unquote, and warranted his termination, but too little too late. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Experts say that inmates who spend long periods in isolation need some form of re-socialization before being released. According to Craig Haney of the University of California, Santa Cruz, a national authority on long-term segregation. Without a transition, the pent-up hostility of prisoners in solitary who lack social interaction can explode into tragedy. 
Haney said, quote, Prisoners in solitary confinement are living in a world that could hardly be more different from the one they will be asked to reintegrate back into upon release. They need transitional programming, unquote. But the state ignored Jenkins's pleas, and on July 30th, 2013, they released him directly from solitary confinement into the community without any assistance or transition and with only a generic list of community resources. You're Great. not going to believe guys. what we Great get job. into next. It's the yeah. timeline and it's horrifying. But before they, I just want a quick culture corner about racism in healthcare. Black patients are systematically undertreated for pain. And decades of research has proven this. In a survey of over 200 white medical students and residents, about half endorsed false belief about biological difference between black people and white people. And those who did also perceived black people as feeling less pain than white people and were more likely to suggest inappropriate medical treatment for black patients. And it just it ultimately fails all of us. Right. But it comes from slavery. Thomas Jefferson, a man who raped 16-year-old Sally Hemings and enslaved his own children and did not set them free even after Mm. he died, wrote prolifically in his justifications about slavery, saying that Black people were inferior mentally, felt less pain than white people. And this is a problem for Black and brown people in healthcare and medical and mental healthcare today. Yeah, that's sick. So it is so sick. Did I mention I'd like to be excused? Anyway. (laughs) Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com All right, let's get into the timeline. Splish Splash. Hit it, Beth. The day that he was released, Nico Jenkins, his mom, and sisters stopped by his cousin Brian Easterling's house. Brian hadn't seen Jenkins since they were teenagers. They reminisced about childhood memories, and then Jenkins' mom asked for a favor. Jenkins needed a place to stay where he could keep out of trouble, and they thought Easterling would be a good influence on him. 
Were you wondering why he wouldn't stay with his mom or couldn't stay with his mom? I did wonder about that. Yeah. Because he's not on parole. He's just released outright. Right. So. Well, I don't know. He might be on parole, but. Oh, okay. Because if he is on parole, I, I, that wasn't clear to me in the story. If he is on parole, you can't stay with a convicted felon. And we know that his oh, parent, his okay. mom was so a convicted might, felon. Yeah, that, yeah. that might be why. Yeah. So he must have been. So Brian agreed to help and Jenkins moved in at the beginning of August. But Brian didn't know what he was getting himself into. Jenkins would walk around the house with a sawed off shotgun. Oh, my God. Yep. Kind of scary. scary. His sister Erica visited frequently and kept a revolver in her purse. Jenkins asked his girlfriend's sisters and other relatives to buy him shotgun ammunition. The Jenkins family even discussed getting an unhoused person to buy the ammo. Mm. But ultimately, his mother Lori Jenkins bought it. Lori later claimed that she didn't give the ammunition to her son, but gave it to someone else. Huh. But then... She claimed that her son told her he needed the ammunition for self-defense and that she had no idea he was going to use it to kill people. So first she said she didn't give it to him. And then she said she did, but he wasn't going to, you know, he was just going to use it for self-defense. Right. And this ammo is a kind, it's, he has a shotgun Mm -hmm. and the ammo was something they called deer slugs, which is basically a bullet for a shotgun. Shotguns don't have bullets? I don't know nothing about guns. No, shotguns, they, it's like scattershot. Okay. So it's like little pellets inside of that. You've seen those red shells. Yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of little pellets inside the shells that it's a scatter. Oh. They can do some damage. Uh-huh. But what he was using was actually a bullet for a shotgun. Oh. Didn't know they made those. Wow. I look didn't at this learning stuff. Something new. <laughs> wow. So, on the evening of August 10th, Oscar Ramirez and his fellow roofer, Juan Uribe Peña, 26, got something to eat after work, then decided to go to Tequila Nightclub. In the parking lot of the nightclub, Juan spotted an old friend, Jorge Cajiga Ruiz, 29, and the three began talking. Jenkins's sister Erica and his cousin Christine Bordeaux approached the men and asked if they wanted to party. After some discussion, they took the party to Juan's apartment. At the apartment, they drank some beer, and Erica excused herself to the bathroom, where she called her brother Nico. Oscar wanted to get some alcohol and food, so he borrowed Juan's car for the errand. While he was gone, Juan called him to let him know that they were going to pick up another woman. So then there would be three couples. Juan, Jorge, Erica, and Bordeaux left in the pickup truck and went to Spring Lake Park, purportedly to pick up the third woman. Oscar never heard from his friends again. Jorge's phone records showed that he received about 10 calls from Oscar that were never answered. Oscar fell asleep at his friend Juan's apartment, waiting for them all to come back. And this, for some reason, this particular detail got to me, like, just yeah. sad. Like, yeah. they're all going to just have a party, and then they just left and never came back. Yeah, yeah, it is sad. Once at the park... Jenkins approached the truck, robbed the men, and then shot them, once each in the head, as Erica and Bordeaux stood outside. Jorge had been covering his face when he was shot, and the bullet went through his hand. Jenkins, Bordeaux, and Erica then returned to a motel room in Council Bluffs that Lori Jenkins had rented. And why? I don't know. Hmm. But they had this hotel room. Okay. According to Bordeaux, Jenkins told his mom that he off two essays. And uh, by the way, essay in Spanish is slang for dude or bruh. Dude or bruh. Yeah. Bruh. (laughs) (laughs) And Lori just asked if he got any money. 
Jenkins told his mom that he was afraid that Bordeaux had gunshot residue on her clothes. So Lori got rid of them and gave Bordeaux a change of clothing. Lori Jenkins later vehemently denied Bordeaux's account, saying that she had no idea that her son had killed anyone and that she gave Christine Bordeaux a change of clothes because Bordeaux had said she spilled beer on her shirt. At about 5 a.m. on August 11th, a police officer found the bodies of the two men in the pickup truck parked near a swimming pool in Spring Lake Park. Their pockets were turned inside out and Jorge's wallet was missing. Bordeaux later admitted to her role, but said that neither she nor Erica knew that Jenkins was going to kill the men. The plan was just to rob them. Eight days later, on August 19th, Curtis Bradford, 22, was murdered. Curtis was once Jenkins' fellow prisoner, and somebody called my little homie. The day before the murder, Jenkins and Curtis had posed together for a picture that was posted on Facebook. On the evening of August 18th, Curtis Bradford went to a barbecue at his aunt's house. His aunt said that around 7 or 8 p.m., she saw him talking to Nico Jenkins across the street from her house. Curtis returned to his aunt's house to eat, and then he left. Jenkins and Curtis went to Jenkins' mom's house. Jenkins' sister, Lolo, Melanie, and Erica were home when Jenkins and Curtis walked in, and Lolo saw them looking at an assault rifle. Erica Jenkins did not like Curtis because he was a member of the Camden Block Crips, and she suspected that a Camden Block member had shot up her home in the past. Erica told Jenkins she felt disrespected that Curtis was in her house since members of his gang had shot at her previous home. Melanie later testified that Erica told Jenkins, quote, I am killing him, unquote. Hmm. Of note, Erica was sentenced to five years for robbery and possession of cocaine when she was just 16 years old. So she was all fucked up, too. Yeah. Now, Lolo also confronted Jenkins while he was shaving in the bathroom telling him that she didn't feel comfortable or safe having Curtis or guns in the house. She said their mother, Lori, did not want Curtis in the house because he was associated with a gang. When Lori Jenkins arrived home, she yelled at Jenkins for bringing company over and he told her they would leave. Jenkins asked Lolo to come along to drop Curtis off somewhere. So just before midnight, Lolo, Erica, Jenkins and Curtis left in a car. Jenkins drove toward the area of 18th and Clark Streets and parked. Curtis was under the impression that he and Jenkins were going to commit a robbery together. Jenkins and Curtis put on gloves, grabbed guns, and got out of the car. Jenkins turned to Lolo and told her to get into the driver's seat. As Lolo moved from the back to the front of the car, Erica hopped out of the car and went with the men. A minute later, there was a boom when Erica shot Curtis in the back of the head. Mm. Startled, Lolo turned down the radio. She then heard a much louder gunshot and saw a flash in the rearview mirror. Jenkins had also shot Curtis after telling Erica she didn't do it right. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, you know, we just covered a story in the news about an older brother who saved his little sister from a kidnapping by using his slingshot. Slingshot, yeah. And I had so much faith in humanity after hearing (laughs) that story. But this is the complete opposite. Yeah. Lolo got out of the car to see what was going on. Jenkins, with Erica about 10 steps behind, ran towards her carrying guns. Jenkins said, quote, what are you doing? Get in the car and drive, unquote. Lolo refused and got into the back seat. Jenkins got into the driver's seat and Erica sat in the front passenger seat. Cousin Brian Easterling said Erica and Jenkins showed up at his home and started bragging about killing Curtis Bradford. Mm. Erica and Jenkins were excited as they told their cousin about the murder, although Erica was pissed 
that Jenkins had also shot Curtis, saying that, quote, it was like taking claim for her first kill, unquote. Jenkins washed off a gun with Curtis's blood on it in the shower. My. Curtis's body was later found by a man returning home from a night shift in the early hours of August 19th. He saw what he thought was a pile of clothes between two parking garages and went to investigate, but backed off and called 911 after he saw a pool of blood. Curtis had been shot twice in the back of the head. Two days later, on August 21st, Jenkins, Erica Bordeaux, and Jenkins's uncle, Warren Levering, were looking for an SUV to steal. They believed that people with money were in town for a Little Wayne concert, and they mm. wanted to rob the concert goers. Mm. But they didn't want to use their own car. Of course, because why would you? Yeah. Uh, so Andrea Kruger, a married mother of three, was driving home from her job as a bartender when she stopped for fast food. Erica spotted her and recommended that the group choose her car. Erica was driving and she positioned their car in front of Andrea's as both vehicles approached the stop sign. Oh, my That's God. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. When they stopped, Jenkins and Levering jumped out of the car and rushed towards Andrea's. Jenkins pulled Andrea out of the driver's side door and shot her four times, <gasps> twice in the head, once in the neck and once in the shoulder, killing her in the middle of the road. <sighs> he then took off in her SUV. According to Bordeaux, after Jenkins killed Andrea Kruger, she, Jenkins, Levering, and Erica went to Lori's house. Erica told Lori that Jenkins had shot somebody and left them in the road. Soon after, Lori Jenkins got a gas can from her garage and gave it to Levering, her brother. But Lori later said that she gave Levering the gas can because he told her that Nico Jenkins had run out of gas. Yeah, I think Lori Jenkins is kind of a lying... A lot of lies <laughs> a <liar>. flying around <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> She's kind of a liar. Yeah. yeah. Andrea Kruger was discovered at about 2.15 a.m. by a deputy sheriff responding to a shots fired call. Her body was found lying in the road at 168th and 4th Street with multiple gunshot wounds. Andrea's SUV was found about 16 hours later. There had been an attempt to start a fire inside of Andrea's vehicle, likely to destroy evidence, but the fire went out nearly as quickly as it started. Investigators found an unspent 12-gauge Brennicky brand shotgun slug, commonly referred to as a deer slug, near the center console of Andrea's vehicle as they searched for evidence. This was the same brand and type as the ones that had been used in the murders of Jorge Cajiga Ruiz, Juan Uribe Peña, and Curtis Bradford. Investigators later found Jenkins' DNA on it as well. Oh, yeah. It's just a relief to see DNA. Slam dunk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> On August 24th at about 6 a.m., Jermaine Stewart, 28, and two women were shot outside of a house in Omaha. All three survived and said that the shots came from a dark-colored vehicle. The two women ended up hospitalized and doctors feared that one, Shamicha Holloway, would die. But after a lengthy hospital stay, she survived. Thank goodness. Yeah. Shalanda Jenkins later told investigators that she was present when Nico Jenkins shot the three people. Nico and Shalanda Jenkins were never charged in that crime. So let's get into the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? Jenkins threatened to kill Shalanda, and I couldn't find any information about this, hmm. but uh, he threatened to kill her. Okay. And on August 30th, she made a police report that led to his arrest. On the evening of September 3rd, during an interrogation related to the threat against Shalanda, Jenkins confessed to all four murders during a rambling eight-hour interview. For the first five hours, he blamed the killing on his relatives. Later, he told police that the acts were sacrifices to the Egyptian god Apophis. 
But he also intimated that the reason that he killed within weeks of his release from prison was to exact revenge on a correction system that threw him away without treating his mental illness. And I can think of so many other ways to go about that problem. Doing that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he did have a mental illness. So. He did, yes, that's <laughs> true. You're right. Investigators also arrested and charged seven of Jenkins's family members. His mother, Lori, 47 at the time, was accused of buying the ammunition used in the murders, and they had it on surveillance video. Uh-huh. And she was also accused of helping her son cover up his crimes. Erica was charged with being an accessory, as was Lolo. Jenkins' uncle, Warren Levering, was charged as an accessory in the murder of Andrea Kruger. Authorities said Levering helped Jenkins get rid of Andrea's car and tried to set it on fire. Jenkins' cousin, Christine Bordeaux, was charged with two counts of conspiracy to commit robbery. His sister, Melanie Jenkins, was charged with two counts of witness tampering. So now let's get into the trial. Here we go. In separate letters to the World Herald, prosecutors, and even the judge overseeing his case, Jenkins said that he wanted to plead guilty to all charges. He wrote, quote, Please help me help the victims' families of my crimes get closure and please not be exposed to more misery and suffering sorrows of a trial. I wish to plead guilty to all counts, unquote. That's a, an, I wonder if he wrote that or his attorney wrote it, because it is an yeah, interesting moment of clarity after doing something really bad. Yeah, I don't think his lawyer would have written it, so. No, okay. But on October 9th, 2013, when Judge Peter Batailon asked him to answer to the charges that he killed four people, Jenkins stood silent. The judge then entered not guilty pleas on his behalf. Jenkins's competency was at issue throughout the proceedings. Dr. Bruce Gutnick, a psychiatrist hired by the defense, said that Jenkins was incompetent. But a state psychiatrist said that Jenkins was competent, and he believed that Jenkins was making up his claims of being commanded by demons. The psychiatrist diagnosed Jenkins as suffering only from antisocial personality disorder, essentially finding that he's a psychopath who would be unresponsive to treatment. During the hearing, Jenkins repeatedly interrupted the proceedings to say that his rights were being violated. But on February 20th, 2014, Batailon ruled that Jenkins was competent to stand trial. Jenkins insisted on representing himself, and after filing several motions in March of 2014, Judge Batayan ruled that Jenkins could represent himself. Mm. On April 18th, 2014, Jenkins entered a plea of no contest to every count. In a hearing, Judge Batayan first said that Jenkins must plead guilty to the murders and describe what he did to the victims. But then he changed his mind and allowed Jenkins to plead no contest. He then found him guilty of all charges. Jenkins waived his right to have a jury determine sentencing, stating that he would rather have a three-judge panel. The court accepted the waiver, but because of the seriousness of the death penalty, Batailan required that Jenkins stop representing himself, and he reappointed a public defender. Batailan set a death penalty hearing for August 11, 2014. Gutnick, the defense psychiatrist, wrote a report detailing concerns about Jenkins's competency. Among other things, Jenkins was self-mutilating again. A second competency hearing was held in July. The court expressed concern that the two psychiatrists who believed Jenkins was competent to proceed did not believe that he had a major mental illness. 
it's so baffling to me that they want to kill him. Right. But they want to make sure that he's competent to Right. Go and they're worried that he's not competent. So why did you find him competent if you're worried right. that he's not competent? Right. This is such and bullshit. for years he yeah. said he wasn't he was. and he needed <laughs> help. Yeah. Shame on Omaha. Shame all on of these, yeah. all these people. Shame on all yeah. these people. This is not an excuse, obviously, right? Just an explanation. His mental. Yeah, I think yeah we're not excusing his crimes. For Absolutely sure. not. Yeah. yeah. So the court worried that if the psychiatrists were wrong, quote, it places doubt as to their opinion that Jenkins is competent, unquote. But Tylen ruled that Jenkins was not competent to proceed with the death penalty phase. But he was fine with the other one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that judge (laughs) (laughs) who voted for this guy? (laughs) In February of 2015, Jenkins filed a motion to dismiss his counsel, telling the court, quote, I am competent to proceed. I am not going to participate in any more evaluations, unquote. In March of 2015, Jenkins was declared competent. He told Bataillon that any more evaluations would be a waste of time. The judge set the death penalty hearing for July 7th, 2015. But the hearing was postponed after the Nebraska legislature passed a law repealing the death penalty. Through a referendum process, enough votes were gathered to stay the repeal of the death penalty until the issue was placed on the ballot for the general election in November 2016. Remember? Yeah. What a time. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Throughout 2015, Jenkins repeatedly self-mutilated. He also tried to carve a 666 into his forehead, but he did it backwards because he was looking in the mirror. So he has a 999 on his forehead. Oh, (laughs) man. (laughs) In December, Bataillon ordered another competency evaluation. In September 2016, the court found that Jenkins was competent to proceed with the sentencing phase. Four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Capital punishment was reinstated by voters through Nebraska's referendum process in November of 2016, and Jenkins' death penalty sentencing phase began the same month. During hearings, Jenkins spoke in tongues, refused to accept prosecutors' accounts of the shootings, and laughed as prosecutors recounted the killings. At one hearing, Jenkins howled on his way out of the courtroom. Courthouse officials called it the Nico Show. Wow. (laughs) 
He also attempted to sue his defense team, attorney Tom Riley, and his staff. Jenkins wrote that he wanted Bataillon to dismiss Riley from the case because Riley provided, quote, ineffective counsel in direct violation of said plaintiff's Sixth Amendment right, unquote. And this is why I said earlier that this guy's not stupid. Uh, He's, you know, filing all of these motions Mm -hmm. and represented himself. Uh And like, okay, some of his decision making is weird, but he has a mental illness, but he's not stupid. Yeah. And I appreciate you making that distinction as somebody with a mental illness. And I also look at people who have PhDs, etc. really, really educated, intelligent people who also have mental illness, right? It doesn't mean that you're exactly that. Not you're stupid. stupid. Yeah. You just have a mental illness. Yeah. And I'm actually impressed sometimes with people who have mental illnesses who can function in mm-hmm. society, like the intelligence and mm-hmm. the fortitude you have to have to be able to function in society with a mental illness. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, throughout my life of dealing with mental illness, you know, like my therapist will say, you know, if you had cancer, you wouldn't be any less competent, right? Right. You just, your body is um, disadvantaged or sick, right? right? And you have to kind of think of mental illness in the same way, but it's with your mind. There's probably a much better way of saying all that. I just can't think of it right now (laughs) because I'm tired. So Jenkins also (laughs) said that the police's evidence against him was, quote, brought about by unconstitutional methods that offend a sense of justice, unquote. Jenkins seemed most upset by the contention that Andrea Kruger was killed during a robbery. Hmm. He pointed out that he had a history of successful carjackings in which he didn't Whoa. kill. Whoa! <laughs> okay. Whoa! Check I am my... a successful carjacker. Yeah, check my charges, please. Put some respect on my carjacking name. Wow. Including two that led to his decades-long prison term. He also pointed out that he didn't take any of the cash in Andrea Kruger's purse. He argued that he wouldn't hurt a woman unless Apophis commanded him to. Hmm. Jenkins insisted that the killings of Andrea Kruger and the others were human sacrifices, that he was merely the vessel that carried out the commands of Apophis. He said, quote, you can ask any woman in North Omaha. I've never raised a hand to them. I haven't, unquote. Well, if he says it. so That's what he says. Yeah. That's what he says. <laughs> An Omaha attorney was hired by Douglas County's insurance carrier to represent defense attorney Tom Riley against Jenkins's lawsuit. At the same time, Jenkins was still being represented by Riley in the death penalty case. Riley said that Jenkins's lawsuit would have no influence on his office's representation of Jenkins, saying, quote, if that were the case, all defendants would have to do is sue us and they'd never have to have public defenders, unquote. The three-judge panel considered mitigating evidence, including Jenkins' plea of no contest, his difficult childhood, and his mental disorder. The panel found he had a personality disorder of narcissistic, antisocial, and borderline. That is quite the cocktail of It's a lot. Personality yeah, disorder. Multi-diagnoses yeah. is uh, tough to manage. Yeah. But they declined to consider his prolonged solitary confinement and release immediately to the community, despite his repeated requests to be civilly committed as a threat to others. The panel concluded that his solitary confinement was as a result of his own actions and threats. So they declined to consider his solitary confinement as mitigation. Wow. I think 
solitary confinement is so inhumane. Nothing good has come of it. It's torture. Exactly. And I'm so grateful to shows like Ear Hustle that have interviewed inmates who have gone through it and just talk about how brutal it is and what it has done to their minds. And then, I mean, it's so, we should be ashamed (laughs) as a society. Yeah. Yeah. So the panel of judges sentenced Nico Jenkins to death on April 20th, 2020. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear his appeal, and the court didn't comment on turning away the case. So now let's get into where are they now? What do you got for us, Beth? Well, Jenkins is currently being housed in the Tecumseh State Correctional Institution. This case caused such a public outcry that reports on Jenkins' life and prolonged solitary confinement prompted significant reforms in Nebraska's use of solitary confinement, particularly with respect to persons with mental illness. Okay, okay. Also, the investigation by Nebraska's legislature concluded that, quote, it was Jenkins' long-term confinement and segregation which exacerbated his mental health problems, prevented him from receiving mental health treatment, and any form of rehabilitative programming, and very simply, made him more angry and disturbed, unquote. Wow. Can't disagree with that. Uh, Wait a minute. 20 years earlier, he was in jail telling you you guys this. Yeah. And finally, you accepted uh, Finally, they listened. (laughs) Wow. Thanks. (laughs) So Chalanda divorced Jenkins in 2017. Erica Jenkins was sentenced to life in prison Mm. for her role in the murder of Curtis Bradford. Jenkins's cousin, Christine Bordeaux, testified against her at her trial. Mm. Christine herself pleaded guilty to attempted robbery and criminal conspiracy and was sentenced to 20 years. Bordeaux and Erica Jenkins were both sent to the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women to serve their time. And in September of 2016, they were placed in the same cell. Three days later, Erica and another inmate assaulted Bordeaux with a metal padlock in a sock. Oh, my God. Wow. Bordeaux reportedly suffered a concussion, facial injuries, and a broken arm. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is really stupid to put them in the same I cell. I don't know what. I, I, Nebraska, what I thinking? have so many questions. I have so <laughs> many questions, Nebraska. What are you doing? <laughs> You're a hot mess over there, Nebraska. Seriously. Oh, my God. You hear about this Nebraska nonsense over there? Jeez. Erica Jenkins received another 20 to 30 years for beating Bordeaux. In 2021, Erica asked that her name be legally changed from Erica Ashley Jenkins to Illuminati e-goddess Erica Prestige, which appears to have been granted. Okay. We see you, (laughs) Illuminati. Wow. Wow, that is that is something. Wow. Okay. So Nico Jenkins mother, Lori Jenkins, was found guilty of two felony accessory charges stemming from concealing evidence from the Spring Lake Park killings and providing false information to police about the purchase of ammunition and for providing replacement clothing for Christine Bordeaux. She is also serving her time at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women. The whole family's in there. The whole family. And (laughs) I mean, oh, I just, the whole system makes me sick. And this is when it, I think this is an example of the entire system failing. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody touched. Warren Levering was sentenced to 40 years also for accessory to murder and robbery. 
Lori Lolo Sales testified at Erica Jenkins' trial and was later released from custody. And as far as I know, she did not serve any time for this particular crime. Now, did you hear that Nico Jenkins filed a lawsuit against the officials in the state of Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm not sure when that happened, but yeah, he did file a lawsuit. And I think it was dismissed, but I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not 100% on that. Yeah, I noted that in some sources that he filed suit against the authorities in Nebraska for letting him out and for the murders and wanted gazillions of dollars in yeah, damages. I th- I'm pretty sure it got dismissed, but I'm I'm not 100%. Uh, okay. It might, it might be still in the works. Okay. I just thought it was very interesting and wanted to say it before we left. Yeah, yeah, while you're thinking about it. Yeah, Yeah. so let's get into, you know, what we think made him snap in our takes. What do you think about this case, Beth? Well, generational trauma and a horrific childhood combined with mental illness and our so-called justice system that Mm -hmm. seems hell-bent on just fucking people up. Yep. Yeah. He was showing evidence of mental illness when he was eight. Yeah. He wanted to unalive himself. Mm-hmm. He needed mm-hmm. help and didn't really get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he probably did have a personality disorder, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he also wasn't psychotic. Mm-hmm. Was he hearing voices and being commanded by a serpent god to kill people? Mm-hmm. Maybe. But I think that regardless, at the root of it all was anger and anger to the nth degree. How come? So when you're mentally ill, you're, you know, hearing things or seeing things Mm -hmm. that aren't there, but it's all coming from your brain. Mm -hmm. So this anger, I think, exacerbated his mental illness and, you know, his brain was telling him to kill people, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But I have thoughts on why he was so angry. That's what oh, I was wondering what yeah, you about. Because of, because of his horrific childhood and his the way he was treated in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. The self-mutilation was a sign that he was in a lot of pain. That's yeah. kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. And it then came out as anger towards the world and mm-hmm. resulted in murder. Yeah. I think Erica didn't help. She probably egged him on. And was in the same boat, right? Yeah. Cut from the same cloth, essentially. She went to, yeah, she went to jail when she was 16. So mm-hmm. she got mm-hmm. all fucked up, too. And she's, mm-hmm. man, she is tough. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, woman. she is. Yeah, yeah. she is. <laughs> it's pretty obvious that these murders, although couched as happening because of robberies to Jenkins, the murders were the thing. Mm-hmm. They didn't even use Andrea's SUV or take her purse. Yeah. When I read about the killings, it sounded to me like a lot of these people around Jenkins and Erica, too. Mm-hmm. They thought they were just going to rob people. Yeah. And didn't necessarily know that he was going to go rogue and kill people. The murders were unexpected. Yeah. yeah that's just my impression. Uh-huh. Erica, maybe she was in on some of it. But I think the first murders of the two men in the truck, I think that was a surprise. Mm. And then, you know, maybe she got on board i don't know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it disgusts me how they just put him out on the street when he had begged to be hospitalized begged yeah yeah the people that run the prisons really like to fuck with people and it's vengeful and gross and not good for anyone almost everyone agreed that he had a serious mental illness and mm-hmm. instead of getting him help, they just argued about the diagnoses, you know. Right. Fuck these guys. Who cares yeah, what, yeah. what the diagnosis is? I mean, he needed help. Yeah. 
you needed to give him help, uh-huh. regardless of whether you think it's a personality disorder mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, schizophrenia, even if it's a personality disorder, you know, regardless of what it regardless, was. Right. Yeah. If he had if he had a physical injury, for example, his penis was slashed. They would yeah. treat it right yeah. before releasing him. Right. They don't because, just, you know, release him out on the street with a cut up penis, you know? <laughs> yeah. I definitely think the Nebraska correctional system and criminal legal system is definitely partially liable to blame. for. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. To blame for his release. And I think one thing to remember is that prisons make money. And I wonder if there is value in not rehabilitating people so they can come back and come back, yeah. the business continues to run. And talk about a blooming onion of a case, Beth. Yeah, yeah, it just kept going. It just blooming and blooming. Seriously, <laughs> up until like five minutes before we recording when I was like, what a lawsuit. So it's just, it's sad everyone all around because of all these failures from before Nika was born in terms yeah. of segregation, racism, redlining, the oppression of indigenous people and his ancestors, all those things affected people who came before him, including his parents, who also got wrapped up in the criminal legal system that affected their ability to parent him. Yeah. He brought a gun to school. Nobody asked what happened Why? to him. Yeah. They just punished him. Right. Right. And then it just he I don't think he stood a chance. He was just too difficult and too. He didn't have the complexion for the protection. Right. So he was difficult and he was a brown kid. And I suspect that his ACE score, you know, that adverse childhood experience score is extremely Mm -hmm. high. Yeah. And, you know, that generational trauma is real. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you and the trauma will continue. Yeah. And the school to prison pipeline is real. Fuck what you heard. And I hate the phrase criminal tendencies because it ignores all of the factors that contribute to a human being's circumstances. And all we want to do is survive. That's what every living thing has a drive to survive. But factors like poverty, race, ACE, you know, adverse childhood experiences, social environment, substances, all like are important to consider. Criminal tendencies is not a thing. It's a way to put all the blame on the individual. And certainly individuals are responsible for their actions, but their circumstances are not always entirely their fault. And there can be a lot more to it than that. His childhood was unsafe. 17 foster homes by 13? That's that's a lot. I mean, I think society, Nebraska, Omaha, made it clear that he there was no place for him, that he was essentially a difficult piece of trash that just needed to be moved around when it got too tough and ultimately just locked him up. And just imagine if the circumstances for him had been different since the beginning, like, you know, if he had received the care that he needed for his mental illness, if his family had received the services that they needed, maybe they just needed their rent paid for a month, right? And they wouldn't have had to turn to crime. Or maybe they just needed coats for the winter, you know, like, Right. If somebody had intervened in a more humane somebody way, somebody had given a shit. Mm-hmm, yeah, this entire thing could, I think, um, gone completely differently. And and I'm also talking about the four people that were murdered. This didn't have right. to happen. It didn't have to happen. Yeah. If they worried less about him faking it and more about treating him, 
this could have been a completely yeah, different story. Exactly. And if this lawsuit has not been dismissed, you know, I don't know why the victim's families wouldn't consider joining as parties to the lawsuit to go after the state of Nebraska for their failure. And they, they may have to they may have filed the a suit as well. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, those were my thoughts. Uh anything else? Nope. All right, let's talk about how not to get murdered. Okay. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So what I have today is a personal safety with a vehicle. Oh. Just going to go through a bunch of tips that I found. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm here listening. we go. You ready? I'm taking notes. Buckle up your seatbelts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Be alert to your surroundings as always, especially when you leave stores or shopping malls for your vehicle, because this is a time when criminals think that you're carrying cash, credit cards, or other valuables. Whenever possible, park directly in front of the main entrance or windows of a business. If you can, don't walk to your vehicle alone. Use the buddy system. Have your car keys out when walking to your car for quick entry and then lock the doors behind you. Trust your instincts and do not take unnecessary risks. Carry a cell phone and have it readily accessible. Do not give rides to strangers or hitchhikers. Never get out of your car for strangers and keep your doors locked. So I was thinking about Andrea when yeah, I was... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if she even had a chance to do anything, but mm-hmm. I once had a guy stop in front of my car and get out. <gasps> oh, my yeah. God. Oh, yeah. my God. And I just hit it in reverse and went backwards. Wow. And then... Yeah. Oh, good job. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Wow. It was just instinct. Yeah. And then he got back in his car, I think, because he realized I could drive forward and run over. <laughs> <laughs> he got back in his car and went away. But wow. uh, yeah, um, I wish she had done that. But it was in the moment. And who knows? You yeah, know, sometimes you know. when you when you're scared, you freeze. Yeah. Right. Right. But that's yeah. why I think it's so important that we like talk about these tips you know they're not fails they're not a hundred percent certainly but absolutely just thinking about these scenarios ahead of time puts you ahead of the game right yeah Um, yeah so thank you you're welcome what else um if attacked use your car's alarm the horn or just scream in order to create attention yeah stay on main roadways and roadways you're familiar with and avoid isolated and dimly lit streets If being robbed, just give up personal property, which wouldn't have helped these victims. But, uh, you know, in most cases, Mm -hmm. your life is worth more than your personal property. So just give it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for those tips. Well, now it is uh, shout out time where we shout out any content by or about people of color or any other minoritized folks or any true crime goodies. What do you got? Well, I just wanted to mention there's the writer's strike going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I have been trying to, and also the world is fucking nuts. On fire. Reality TV, 
is my thing, something mindless that I could just turn on and kind of not think about. So right. Real Housewives of Atlanta is back and it is such a good season so far. <laughs> well, so um, check out Real Housewives of Atlanta. It's on Bravo, but you can also watch it on Peacock. Um, oh, wow. Which is where I am streaming. Did not know so, that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Some fun stuff. What do you got? So I wanted to shout out The Diplomat. It's a TV oh. show on Netflix. Uh-huh. It's a political thriller starring Carrie Russell, who's white, of course. Yeah, but, but there are also it. a lot of people of color in the cast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you like the Americans, you're going to like The Diplomat. I loved it. I It's like eight episodes or something, and I binged the shit out of it. I forgot all about it. I watched the first few episodes and was a fan. And I think Carrie Russell can really do no wrong. Yeah. I don't know why she... I mean, I wish she was a real spy. She's so good at playing one on TV. She is. is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just to recap, that is, oh, thanks for putting it in there, Fred. You're welcome. The Real Housewives of Atlanta, if you just want to turn your brain off, kind of get away from the reality of the horror. The burning world. The the world is burning (laughs) down. Earth is ghetto. I want to (laughs) leave on Peacock or Bravo if you have cable. And then The Diplomat on Netflix. Oh man, that's the yep. end. Oh, yep. that's the end. Remember that Janet's action song? <laughs> that's the end. No. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so But it uh, is. Wh- <laughs> it is. Okay. So uh where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website, plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Yeah. Five stars only, please. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Please give so- us some reviews. We need we need some more reviews. And we'll shout you out. We promise. We will. I'll even write you a tune. A good one. So this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. That's my, our break is over alarm. Sorry. <laughs> Resume. Resume. Okay. 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 Holy shit. Okay. Let's get into it. Okay. I'll find it. Drugs. It's the new coconut oil. All the other peas are just worthless. <laughs> I have so many questions, Nebraska. What are you doing? <laughs> You're a hot mess over there, Nebraska. Seriously. Oh, my God. You hear about this Nebraska nonsense over there? Jeez. Omaha.
Somewhere in middle America, get right to the heart of matters. It's the heart that matters more. Any Cat and Crow fans out there? Uh, sorry, the dog. <laughs> Have some respect, Sid. No, <laughs> Put some respect on my carjacking name. Wow. I am a successful carjacker. <laughs> America's greatest hits. Yeah. You just said but. I said but. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Do do diamonds and pearls. It ain't it, 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 boy or a girl. My life in you, I just suffer you, my love. Do 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 Can you hear me? Yes. Bonita Applebaum, you got to put me on. It's a song. Oh. <laughs> Get into it, Beth. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I'm too old. Beth, I'm going to take you to hip-hop school. Bonita Applebaum. Yeah, yeah I need <laughs> yeah. to go to hip-hop school for sure. <laughs> All right, my friend. That's the end? No. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so, but it is. Uh, it is. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.